0: Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake, you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. In a few seconds here, I'm going to need you guys to get loud because we have a special, special guest speaker. Terrence has a gift. He has spoken to many youth students. He has spoken to many adults. He is super passionate, super exciting. And he's got an amazing word. So can you guys get crazy, clap crazy loud for Terrence Tally, please? Thank you. Appreciate it. Oh, man, that, that was a good introduction. Now I'm like, I don't know if I could do this. This is too much pressure. Well, like he said, my name is Terrence. And I get the awesome, awesome privilege to be able to travel around the country, and uh, I do speak at churches, obviously, because I'm here right now. But uh, during the school year, what I do is I also speak to high schools and uh, middle schools all across the country. And recently, I joined up uh, with an organization called Stand for Truth. And what Stand for Truth is, is they travel around to these schools, and then also at the same time, they introduce the gospel in every single school that they go to. And so I have partnered with them and but in doing so I am going to need a partner as well. Because since this is a nonprofit organization, if you don't know what nonprofit is, that means you don't get paid to do it. And basically I need partners to help me continue to do this. And so as you'll see each and every one of you, if you receive the card or if you haven't received the card. You can feel free to go to my table. And what this is, is asking you to partner with me to be able to reach students. And we're looking for whatever you're able to partner with, whether it's $20 a month, $40 a month, $60 a month, or maybe $1,000. I don't know where you're at, but all I do know is we're needing your help to be able to go. And so if you're sitting there right now and you're just like, "Mm, I don't know, and maybe after the service, you're like, You know what? That was a good service. I would love to partner with them. Or maybe you're like, I did not like this service and you would love to partner with me to get better. Whatever it is, that's the help that we need. So uh, I will be able to see you after the service. And here's the thing as much as I have traveled around and as much as I spent and I have been reading God's Word, I have learned something about myself. And the thing that I've learned about myself is this. I am jacked up. I've got some issues. I've got some problems and I need help. But you know what the crazy thing is? You're jacked up too. That's right. You've got some problems. You've got some issues. So matter of fact, turn to the person next to you, let them know. You're jacked up. You're, that's what, let her know. It's okay. You're jacked up. It's all right. We got a minute. I'm jacked up. You're jacked up. But the great thing about it is this. In Jeremiah 1.5, God says, before, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nation. God knew you before you became jacked up. God knew you, and when he knew all the things you're going to get into, all the sin that might come into your life, God still says, I choose you. He chooses you even though he knows everything about you. God chooses you. Now, unfortunately for some of us, We're just like, hey, I don't even know when I became jacked up. I didn't know I was jacked up until you told me, Terrence. But the thing about it is, for me, I knew the exact moment I became jacked up. And see, I'll never forget it. Uh, When I was like three years old, my parents, they got a divorce. And I'll never forget, my dad, he came into the house and took everything out of it. And my mom, uh, she was a single mom for a while, and I have two older brothers. And so my mom, she was trying to make ends meet. She was trying to go to work. She was trying to take care of the three boys. And she was just having a hard time doing that. And so one day, my grandma showed up. Now you guys have to understand, my grandma, she smelled like a combination of chicken and oatmeal. I don't even know how those things go together, but it's delicious. And so when my grandma came, she she would turn to us. Best thing about my grandma, she would always turn to us and say, baby, and every single time she said, baby, you're like, oh, snap, that's my grandma, because you knew she was going to take care of you. And so my grandma, she came in, and she's cooking, and she's like cleaning up everything. My brothers and I, were having a blast, and then one day, My grandma came into the room. She looked at us, and she goes, Babies, I've got to go back home. Because my grandma, she lived in Detroit, and we lived in Minnesota. And she's like, Babies, I have to go back home. And we're like, oh, no, Grandma, no. But then all of a sudden, my grandma turns towards me, and she goes, but baby." You're coming with me. I was like, oh, snap, I'm coming with you. And so I'll never forget, I ran into my room, and I'm like put together all my Legos and Twinkies because when you're three, you got to have Legos and Twinkies. And so I ran back to my brother's room, and I was just like, I'm going to grandma's house. I'm going to grandma's house. And I'll never forget the day that we're leaving. My mom, she dropped us off at the bus station because we were broke. And we couldn't find to go on a plane. We had to ride the bus. And so I remember I'm getting on the bus. And my mom, she's standing outside. She's crying. And I'm like, you know, my mom's a little emotional. But I'm like... Don't worry, Mom, I'm going to Grandma's house. And so finally, when we got to Detroit and we got to my Grandma's house, we walked in, and I'll never forget it, my Grandma, she turned to me, and she goes, Baby, what do you want to eat? I was like, Man, this is going to be the best time ever. But the thing you need to know about my Grandma is this. My Grandma went to church every single day. Now, some of you guys are like, oh, she went to church on Wednesdays and Sundays. No. My grandma went to church every single day. Monday night was prayer night. Tuesday night was women's Bible study. Wednesday night was Wednesday services. Thursday night was church-wide prayer. Friday night was evangelism night. Saturday night was getting ready for Sunday morning. And then Sunday morning was Sunday morning. And Sunday night was the special guest speaker. My grandma went to church every single day and we prayed every single day it got to the point at like three years old four years old i'm like man can the lord get a pen and a paper to write these prayers down i don't understand and so after a while doing this my grandma she loved going to church And she was the type of grandma that when she came to church, she would, like, have her old outfit together. She would have the hat, and everything would just flow together. And I'll never forget it. My grandma, she turned to me, and she was just like, baby, I even let the Holy Spirit dress me. And I was like, wow, I didn't know the Holy Spirit, like, leopard print. That's crazy. And so my grandma, she would get to church And, of course, my grandma was the type of grandma that she had, like, her tambourine, and she would bring it in, and it even had her name etched in there. Uh, Okay, that's not true, but I just think it's funny. And my grandma, every time we're in church, she'd be the lady singing in the back, loudest voice, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. And after a while of doing this, I was sick of church. I didn't want to do this no more. And so I'll never forget one day, we came into the church, and then, you know, my grandma, hallelujah, thank you Jesus. And at that point, I was like, that's it. I don't want to do this no more. And so I sat there, and in rebellion, I started to take off all my clothes. Now, I don't know why I took off my clothes in rebellion, but that's what you do when you're four years old. And so, I start to take off my socks, I'm unbuttoning my shirt, and of course, my grandma, she turns towards me, and she goes, baby, you need to put your clothes back on. Things you never thought you'd hear in church. And I was like, no grandma. And so, I'm like starting to take off all my clothes, and then next thing you know, this big black guy comes over to me, and he goes, hey, you want me to take care of this for you? And my grandma's like, you do what you got to do. I'm like, hold up, Grandma. You just, like, got me out to some man. I don't even know. And so this man, he bent down. He looked me in my eyes, and he goes, hey, I need you to go outside and stand in front of the church and wait for me. I'm like, okay, hold up. I don't know what's happening here. I don't know you like that. And so I went out, and I'm standing in front of the church. This dude comes out, and he goes, hey, you see that tree over there? And I'm like, yeah? Yeah. And he goes, I want you to go to the tree, break a branch off the tree, and bring it back to me. I'm like, okay, is this a Detroit thing right now? I don't know what's going on here. And so as I am walking to the tree, it suddenly occurs to me, this dude is old. I am young. He can't catch me. And so I start running. I'm like, I'll see you later, old man. And then all of a sudden, this dude must have had superhuman powers because next thing I know, he reached out his hand, and he was just like, come back here. He picked me up with one hand, broke a branch off of the tree with the other hand, and he started to spank me with this branch. I have never been assaulted by a tree in my life, and I am scarred by this this dude, he brings me back in the church, sits me in the pew, and of course, my grandma's there, and she's just like, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, and at this point, I was done. At this point, I was like, I never want to be here ever again, and so as my grandma, we start to leave, we're walking down the center aisle, and I just stop, fold my arms. My grandma, she walks a little bit, and she turns towards me, and she goes, come on, baby, we got to go, and I was like, no, grandma, I don't want to go. I want to go home. I'm sick of this. Take me home. And then that's when my grandma turns towards me, and she goes, baby, you can't go back home. Your mom, she gave you to me. You can't go back home. See, my mom, she was having such a hard time taking care of three boys by herself that she couldn't afford to do it anymore. And so she had to pick one boy that she needed to send away. that boy was me. And at four years old, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, why'd she choose me? Why did I have to be the one to go? Now, I didn't realize how much this affected me until I became an adult. Now, you guys have to understand, for me, I'm one of those people that's just like, no, I'm here to help you. I don't need help. Like, how can I help you? How can I serve you? And so you guys also have to understand, my wife is like the smartest person I know. And my wife, she's actually going to school right now and getting her master's in counseling. And so my wife, she's like the brown-nosing type of student, and she reads all the books before she even goes to class. And so one day she came over to me, and she was just like, Terrence, I just read this book, and this book is going to help you with all the issues you have. And I'm like, okay, first of all, ain't no book going to tell me about this. And she was like, no, Terrence, you got to read the book. This book is going to help you to understand what's wrong. And so I was like whatever. And so I start reading this book. And in this book, this dude has a test. And he goes, okay, I want you to close your eyes and imagine that you're standing in front of your childhood home. doesn't matter how old you are, but you're sitting there and you're standing in front of it. And you see the house and you start to walk inside. And now you go to the kitchen where your mom would be. What is something... You want to ask your mom, but you don't. Instead, you ask something else. And I remember I would ask my mom for something to eat because it was really easy for her to just make something to eat for me. And then he goes, now, I want you to go to the room where your father would be. And what does he say to you? And I just imagine I'm going into this room and there's nobody there because he left. And he goes, now, I want you to come out of that home You're standing in front of your home and you look down the sidewalk and you see this dark figure coming towards you. And at first, you can't quite make it out. And then all of a sudden, as it begins to get closer, you start to realize that's you. It's you at the age you are right now. What is it you want to say to yourself? What is it that you want to tell the younger you? And I remember I can imagine in my eye, I'm sitting there, And I bend down to little Terrence, and I tell him, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay. Because see, for me, the reason why I don't want people to help me is because I always imagine them wanting to throw me away. Because if my mom can throw me away just because I'm too much trouble, then how easily is it for someone else to throw me away as well? This is what shame is. Shame says, I'm not good enough for dot, dot, dot. And we all have shame in our lives. For me, it's I'm not good enough to ask for help. Because if I do, then people are not going to want me anymore. And unfortunately, there's way more enough shame to go around than there needs to be but you have to understand Jeremiah 1.5 says before I formed you in the womb I knew you before you were born I set you apart I appointed you as a prophet to the nations God says that no matter what it is you feel like you're not good enough for God says, still says nope you are and I have a purpose for you. Despite the things that you've gotten into, despite the things that people have done to you, you are still good enough for me. But the thing about it is this. As much as we try to, like, heal ourselves, the much, as much as we try to get our value from others, you never will. Because, see, your value is not a group project. God has already placed it inside of you. And your shame, it thrives in secrecy, and it demands your loyalty. Because think about it. We don't tell people what we feel like we're not good enough for. Because if you tell people, then they can exploit it. They can look at you in a different way. And so we we hide it. And the more that you hide it, the more it becomes true in your mind. I'm not good enough for this. And there are two ways that we go to find value in our lives. We go to the people in our lives, and we go to the purpose in our lives. When we go to the people in our lives, it looks like this. It says, hey, I, I'm going to do everything I can to make you feel like I am worthy, to make you feel like I am good enough. And so for a lot of, like, guys, what it is is we hear a lot of guys say, hey, I don't cry in front of people because that's not what men do. And that really is shame because you're really saying to yourself, no, I, I can't cry because if I cry in front of you, if I show emotion in front of you, then you're going to think that I'm less of a man. And if you think I'm less of a man, then you're going to take away my identity. So I'm going to hide my emotion. I'm going to let you know that I'm always strong and I'm always being able to do what I need to do. But we all know that is not the truth. Not all the time can you be strong. Not all the time do you feel like you are good enough. And so when we try to hide that, men, you are cutting off a piece of your because think about it. God made you to have emotion. God made you to feel. And then when it looks like for women, it looks like this. It says, hey, I'm going to try to do everything perfect for you. So that means I'm going to be the ultimate cook. I'm going to be the ultimate housekeeper. I'm going to try to do all these things. And as I try to do all these things and I try to pull together the house, or maybe for you, you're like, at, or you go to work and you're trying to make everybody happy. And you're like, that's what I do. I make everything work. But the real thing is this, that you can never be a hundred percent perfect. There is never a 100% perfect person. And as you begin to hide all the things that you're not good at, as you begin to hide and try to do all these things to make people happy about you, pretty soon you're going to start to learn that not everybody is going to be happy with you. Not all the time is everybody going to say, I appreciate what you've done. And so what that looks like is this. I don't want to talk to any more people. I don't want to fail anybody else. And so... We stop getting out and meeting others. We stop trying to help other people because you know I can't do it all the time and they're not going to like me. Or when we go towards the purpose in our life, it looks like this. For some of us, for students, it looks like, hey, if I get all A's in school, then people are going to like me, and I'm going to be smart enough, and one day I'm going to be able to get into that school, or maybe for others, it's like, hey, I need to get on that basketball team, because if I get on that basketball team, if I get on that team, and I'm on the starting lineup, then people are going to be like, man, I'm good enough. My parents, they're going to know now that I'm good enough to have a great son, to have a great daughter, or for when it comes to adults. It's like, hey, I'm going to do this the best that I can do at this job. And as I do the best, then they're going to say, yeah, you're good enough to have that promotion. You're good enough to have more responsibilities. But the thing about it is this. No matter what you think you're good enough for, we all know there's always somebody better. And as we know that there's always somebody better, as you begin to try to climb up even more and more, Finally, and when you climb up a ladder all the time, what happens? You get tired. And when you feel like you're tired, and when you feel like you can't climb up anymore, then you stop trying new things. You're like, why would I do that? I can't do that. For for some of you in this room, you know that there was a time inside of you that you wanted the same, but somebody told you something different. And so now, you don't want to come up and join worship. I'm not good enough to do that. For others of you, there are lots of different things that God has called you to do in the church. But in your mind, you're saying, I can't do that. I'm not good enough. But you have to understand, before God formed it, He knew you. He created you to be a prophet to the nations. God says, You're good enough for me. See, uh, I'll never forget it. There's this one school assembly we're at. And the gym, it was filled with all these students and the bleachers. Uh, But in the middle of the bleachers was this one girl, and her name was Teresa. And every once in a while, she would take out this tissue, put it to her face, and put the tissue back in her pocket. Didn't matter if it was a serious part. Didn't matter if it was a funny part. She, every once in a while, she would take out this tissue, put it to her face, and put the tissue back in her pocket. So of course, after the assembly was done, principal comes over and he goes, hey, thanks for coming to our school. And then my friend, he goes, hey, can I ask you a question about one of your students? And he goes, oh, you're talking about Teresa. And we're like, dude, there's like hundreds of students sitting here. How do you know which one we're talking about? And he goes, you're talking about the girl with the tissues, right? Yeah, that's Teresa. Well, do you know why she has the tissues? And he goes, actually, none of us on staff know why. But if you want, we can call her down to the office. And if she wants to tell you, then she's free to do that. And we're like, yeah, that would be great. Now, I got to tell you guys, it's the coolest thing in the world where you could just go to a school and just be like, uh, I want that one. And they're like, give him this student. he's black. Give it to him. So we go down to the office and all of a sudden, Teresa comes walking in. My friend's like, hey, thanks. And she's like, thanks for coming to our school. And then my friend goes, can I ask you a question? And she goes, oh, you want to know about the tissues? yeah, you're going to think I'm really weird. We're not going to think you're weird. We just want to know what's going on. And she goes, well, you have to understand. My mom, she loves me, but it's just my mom and my little brother and I. My dad left a long time ago. And she goes, on my 13th birthday, my mom pulled me to the side and said, today's the day you need to grow up. I can't afford to treat you like a baby anymore. So what that means is I'm not going to kiss you, I'm not going to give you a hug and tell you that I love you because that's what babies need. And you're not a baby. It's time for you to act like an adult. It's time for you to grow up. So from that day forward, Teresa actually had to go out and get a job to order and support herself. But she goes, every single day, I watch my mom get ready for work. I watch how she goes into her room, she sits in front of the mirror, and she begins to put on her makeup. And the last thing that she puts on is lipstick. She'll take it out, put it on her lips, take some tissue out, to wipe off the extra lipstick, and then she throws it in the garbage and goes to work. She said she does this every single day. And one day, just like every other day, the mom, she sat in front of the mirror, She put on the makeup. Last thing she took out was the lipstick. She put it on, took some tissue out, wiped off the extra, and threw it in the garbage. And she goes, as soon as she left, I snuck back into her room, I went to that garbage can, and I pulled out that tissue. And now, every single time I want to imagine that somebody loves me, I pull out the tissue, and I put it to my face. And I pretend it's my mom kissing me again telling me that she loves me. The only kind of love Teresa gets is from a garbage can. And this is what shame does to you. It says you only deserve garbage love. You only deserve garbage value. You don't deserve it like everybody else. You deserve this amount. But see, here's the thing. There is no person in this world that is just a little bit valued. Every single one of you deserve to be loved. Every single one of you deserve to have somebody love you like they should. And God says, "You're mine." God says, Jeremiah five one or one five: Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born. I set you apart to, and I pointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, one of the stories that I think illustrates this really well is the story about the woman at the well. Now, woman at the well, the story takes place in John 4 and like 4 through 18. And basically, if you don't know the story of the woman at the well, a little background for you. Um, one day, Jesus... He's, like, chilling out with his boys, and he's just like, hey, uh, I'm getting thirsty. Why don't you guys go on ahead, and I'm going to go get something to drink. And they're like, okay, Jesus. And so they go off, and so Jesus, he's at this well, and then all of a sudden, this woman comes up to him. And she's a Samaritan woman. Now, I don't have time to go through all the ins and outs of what a Samaritan is, but pretty much a Samaritan was, like, a person that, like, believed in God, but they also believed in these other gods, too. And they would mix their religion with everybody else's religion. So when they came back to the Jewish people, Jewish people are like, "Mm mm-mm, you're not like us, you're gross. And so they made them an outcast. And so this woman, she's a Samaritan woman, and she comes towards the well, and as she's getting water... Jesus turns towards her and asks, can you get me some water? And that woman, she's like, you talking to me? And Jesus is like, actually, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for some living water. And the next thing you know, this woman's like, wait a minute, what's going on here? What are you talking about? Uh, are you one of those people that other people like, think you're a prophet or something? Who are you? And then we'll pick it up In verse 4 through 13, and and Jesus says to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Then the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that i won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water then jesus tells her go call your husband and come back and she says i have no husband jesus says you're right when you say you have no husband the fact is you have had five husbands and the man you are now with is not your husband what you have said is quite true holy smokes Jesus totally reads this woman's mail. Think about this. She's like chilling, and she's just like, oh, who is this man? And he's like, girl, I know your business. Now, here's the thing about it. I believe that this woman represents a lot of us in this room. Because the way that I believe that she represents a lot of us in this room is by three different ways. Uh, Number one, for her, she thinks that I am thirsty. Now, you have to understand something. She is tired of being who she is. Because, see, long story short, uh, for women in that town, they couldn't, like, talk to each other in public. And so there is one time during the day that the women of the town would all come together and go to this well, and this is where they would have uh, community and they would talk to the other women in the town, This woman comes to the well by herself. Why did she come by herself? Probably because all the other women in the town knew her business. They knew what she was doing. And they're like, no, she's not like us. She's she's the other lady that does all those other things. We're not like her. This woman people she knows that when she goes out people are looking at her as less than you're not like us you're worse than us and so she's coming to this well and she can see all the eyes upon her she can tell that everybody knows her business and i think sometimes we over spiritualize the bible and when jesus tells her hey i want to give you some living water she's not saying spiritually she's not saying Sir, give me this water because I am spiritually thirsty. No, for her, this is real. This is real life. She's literally saying, Sir, give me this water so that I won't have to keep coming here to draw water. She is saying, I don't want to do this anymore. I am sick and tired of people looking at me. I'm sick and tired of going down in public, and everybody knows what I've done. I'm sick and tired of living with my shame out in the public. Give me water so I don't have to keep doing this. And we can relate to her, because some of us know what it feels like to not be the person you don't want to be. To be the person that everybody knows your business Everybody has all these ideas, everybody then you know that they gossip about you and you're tired of it. You're tired of people thinking something about you and not valuing you for who you really are. But God says you're mine and you're good enough for me. The second way that I think we can relate to this woman is that she's a woman. Now, I know that we can't all relate to being a woman. Well, I can't relate to being a woman. But for her, you guys have to understand that women, they were second rate back then. Women, you couldn't actually be involved in, like, decision making and different things like that. And even when it came to the court and you had to, like... Uh, have people that would speak up for other people, they actually did not let women be those type of people. Why? Because they felt like they couldn't trust the word of a woman because she was not smart enough and she did not tell the truth like a man should. So this woman, think about it, she's already used to feeling like she is second rate. She's already used to feeling like, yeah, I'm not good enough to do all those other things like men do. I just don't. So not only is she this person that people already think she's less than, she is an outcast of the outcast. And then third but not least, this woman has great hurt and great sin in her life. Now it says that Jesus says, yeah, you've been married five times. Now we don't know why she's been married five times. A lot of us maybe assume that she's just got five different divorces. But we don't really know. Maybe one day her dude was just like, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get some milk. And then he just didn't come back. Maybe the other day uh, she woke up and her man just, he just died because men do that sometimes. We die. We don't know why she's been married five different times. But what we do know is this, that she has committed herself to five different people and every single time It has not worked out for her. And then now she is with a dude that she is sleeping with. And he's not married to her. He's not committed to her. Why would she do that? It's simple. Shame says, you're not good enough for love like that. You're worth garbage love. Nobody else gives you value. And if I give you a little bit, then that's good enough for me. But remember, God chose you. He knew you. He knew the sin that you were going to get into, and he still says, you're mine. Now, uh, there's a, it was this past uh, spring. It was back in April, May time frame. And I'll never forget it. I was at this school assembly, and there is like literally 1,600 students in this gym. And so I get done, and all these kids, they're coming up to me, and I'm high-fiving them, and I'm, like, sitting there saying, yeah, you're awesome. And the next thing I know, this dude comes walking up to me, and he's not emotional. There's no, like, happy face on his face. He just walks over to me, gives me a hug, and says, thank you. He puts his hand out to shake my hand. I put my hand out. We shake hands, but as we're shaking hands, I can feel that there's some paper in there. And then next thing I know, he just walks away. Now, I couldn't look at the paper because I had all these other students coming up to talk to me. So I just put the paper in my pocket. And then next thing you know, I go back, to, I go to the school that we're going to next. And I remember, oh, yeah, this kid, he gave me a piece of paper. I pulled it out, and on the front of it said, To Mom. And at first, I was like, okay, he has given me the wrong note. I am nobody's mother. But I opened it up anyway. And in the note, it was his suicide note written for his mom. And he said, Mom, I'm tired of being who I am. I'm tired of disappointing you. I'm tired of giving and taking shame. So I am ending my life. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I don't know what to do with this. And so we got the note to the principal at had his school. And 7 o'clock that night, we get a phone call from that principal. And he goes, we found out who the student was. He called his mom, brought him to the office. And what we found out was he had written this note in January. And he carried the note in his pocket every single day. Until today, he was going to take his life and he was going to let his mom find it. But the reason why he gave it to you was because sitting in the assembly, he finally knew, I don't need this note anymore. I am worthy. This is what God wants to do. He wants to take that shame off you and say, No, you're mine. And think about it the woman at the well, all of a sudden, if you read a couple uh, verses just below, this woman, all of a sudden, she runs back to the town and she goes, Hey, I think I found the Messiah. The whole town comes to meet Jesus. Think about that. This woman who and rate, this woman that people put all this shame and disgust on, all of a sudden she is changed and she literally becomes an evangelist in that moment. Think about that. That for God, when you meet Jesus, you don't have to go through seven weeks of discipleship training. You don't have to read and do devotions for a year. Like literally, when you meet Jesus... Your life is changed. You have a purpose in mind. This is what we need Jesus for. And this, the way that we fight shame is with grace. Because, see, grace, it doesn't say that that shame is untrue. Because that's the reason why shame hurts. Because it is true. We know the things we do, we know the sin that we have when we accept the grace of Jesus, it says, hey, you're right. You have sinned in that way. But I still call you. You're still mine." And this is why we need to come to Jesus. Because whatever shame you're carrying, whatever sin that you have, Jesus wants to take that from you and give you a purpose. Because he still says, I formed you before you were born. And I made you to be a prophet to the nations. Today, I do not know where you are at, but I do know that if you walk out of here with the shame that you're holding when you came in, you'll come to the wrong place. Because Jesus, when we come to Jesus at the altar, this is what being free job your value because Jesus is already giving you your value this has been a podcast of the bridge church have a great week stop in Sunday sometime and visit if you would like to give you can do so online at sfbridge.org have a great week